Hi, everybody. Uh, this week, we will be talking about, there will be some mention of uh, September 11th in, uh, and, uh, and the pandemic in our interview a little later on. So uh, there's your warning. The next warning is that we have cats and dogs and chickens, and they tend to interrupt us, and there may be loud noises related to that, or swearing, since someone keeps putting her butt on my keyboard. Talking to you, little orange. Yes, thank you. And finally, we swear a lot. It's a thing that happens. I think Ursula's swearing on the internet right now. Uh, no, I wasn't. Um, when I get in, in internet fights with people, I try very hard not to swear so that anyone else reading the conversation sees them looking more and more like a douchebag. Okay, then. But if I'm just ranting in general, yeah, I'll drop F-bombs left and right. So we're going to probably swear some on this podcast, and that's why it's marked explicit. And Woo! so you've been warned. Welcome. No, wait, let me do this right. Hi, folks. Welcome to Productivity Alchemy, episode 154. Uh, I have a great interview with uh, a lovely woman named Maggie later this Yay. show, so uh, who was recommended by her brother, who is a prior guest, and we'll we'll get into that during the interview. Um, so, uh, it, I'm finding myself in an interesting spot. Uh, looking at all the shut it down days that we've been doing and uh, with the uh, U.S.'s Independence Day holiday uh, being observed for businesses on Friday, so we'll be closed in the U.S., uh, I have what looks like a series, almost a month worth of four-day work weeks. I Oh, the horror. It's not – yeah, uh, it's not that it's horror. It's that I'm – there's been a lot of talk, a lot of talk in I've been seeing in, in business circles and some productivity stuff about how a four day work week is actually better for your employees than trying to shove a, you know, fit into a five day whatever. Oh, when I was uh, when I worked at my my gig at the streetlight outage hotline, uh, lo, these many years ago. Uh, I would only work four days a week and I, I would work 10 hours a day. Right. But it was like, if I'm having to drive this far out here, why don't I just stay the extra two hours and I'd stay and basically everyone else would have gone home already. So I spent a lot of those two hours reading, uh, uh, mythology and folktales while waiting for the phone to ring. I mean, that's, that's the thing, right? It was uh, great. Yeah. When I was a federal contractor, with um, a the EPA, we had to get special permission because there was like prior to the contract holder at the time holding the having the contract, the previous contract holder, man, these things are weird. Um, I, I will go into federal contracts like that in a bit if you want, but um, over basically that they had this thing that had been grandfathered in from the previous holder of the contract and I had to go through some hoops to be able to get uh, basically a four and a half day work week so that I could have my kids on, you know, cause I had to leave early the day uh, I was on a Thursday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday schedule 
uh, the boys would be here at the time. You remember that schedule. Yeah. And, um, and so I had to make arrangements to have uh, essentially uh, Friday, Saturday, to be able to have like half days on Friday and, and spin that around. But it's been interesting to watch my own habits change knowing, okay, it's a four-day week, so all right, step back, relax a little bit. Um, and I'm not as fried at the end of the work week as I am – in a five-day work week. Oh, absolutely. Um, and hours don't matter because even in a in a five-day work week, I might work seven and a half, eight hours one day, ten another, six another. We don't count. Or you're on call those one days, and and you you are on call at two in the morning and getting up. Yeah. I yeah. Remember. Yeah. I mean, it's it's we're one of the things about my current job is we're very understanding about. You work when it's best for you. The important thing is that the job gets done, and uh, if you're not present for a, a meeting or something, view the recording. We record everything uh, because we're a distributed workforce with people in multiple time zones. And I really hope that like this is the wave of the future for a lot of IT work because I think it would make people a lot happier. Well, we've we've been doing it. I mean, that's the thing. That's this is part of the company culture, so we've been doing it apparently for a very long time uh it's other companies and not just it who are having to come to grips with this right and there is uh i, I was looking at uh, an old comic and it was like how will we ever work from home this is no remote work is not possible okay we have to make remote work possible so everybody gear up and get ready and uh, and don't worry we'll be returning to the office soon and then so we're just giving up the office cuz it's an expense we don't need i'm i'm really wondering uh how many companies after this whole thing is over are going to be like so it turns out we can work just fine Without having to come into an office. I mean, there's times to come into an office and having an office to go into and have meetings at times is not necessarily a bad thing. But I see, I mean, commercial real estate is going to have a mess on its hands if people are just like, why are we paying for this space if we're not using it? Yeah. Why are we paying for the space if we've decided we don't need to use it? I, I hope that's the case. I think that, that yeah. commutes are wasted time and wasted energy for so many people. So uh, they are. Yeah. You know, it would be it would be great if we could see some long term changes from this. Mind you, the longer this goes on and the more our cases rise in North Carolina, I'm I'm starting to pay our back my expectations to it would be great if some of us could not die. But uh, Yeah, it's uh it's it's a mess out there, let's be honest. Yeah. Um I, I'm trying really hard not to look too too deeply at that because I'm just disappointed. I knew this was we all, we all sort of knew this was what was going to happen with a, a reopening too early. So, but you can send yourself into a tailspin of despair without doing any. I mean, right. The fact that we know this, we could get really depressed without having any ability to correct it. Uh, doom yeah. scrolling. It's exactly. all doom scrolling. Uh, the the act of just staring at. Twitter or your social feed and looking at the bad news and just refreshing and scrolling down and refreshing and scrolling down. And as we've said before, you feeling bad about something does not actually make it better. No. Yeah. Your guilt is not action. It's, uh, it's, and if all you've got is 
feeling bad about it, then, uh, and that's all you can do. Because some things we can't fix. I can't, you know, change the COVID rates and make people wear masks. It's, uh, that is not within my power. And I just have to acknowledge it's not within my power. And instead of obsessing over it and becoming incredibly miserable, just go, okay, that is not a thing I can affect. Yeah. So yeah, control, you, you control what you can control and you have to kind of let the rest go. Yeah. Because there are things I can mm-hmm. affect that it's great if I, you know, I'm upset about. I can send money to causes and whatnot. There's just not a damn thing I can do to get people to wear masks. Yeah. Or stay home. I mean, if they can stay home, great. A lot of people, you know, can't. They'll lose their job. They'll lose yeah. their house. They'll oh, yeah. Whatever. I mean, it's it's we are a grand spiraling cone of fuckery. You're not wrong, and I believe that is pretty much all we should say on the subject before we start getting angry and bitter and making everyone unhappy. Yes. Yes, indeed. So how has your past week been in terms of productivity? Uh, It's actually been pretty good. I'm averaging a thousand words a day. I uh, managed a... um, uh, Last week, I didn't get... There were a couple days I didn't get the full... uh, I didn't get words written, but I, like, designed the cover... Yeah, yeah. Book and uh, did uh, all the edits and formatting and stuff. So honestly, I've been productive and working, and uh, it's it's fine. And I can't believe it's been a week already. Really. Uh, yeah. I mean, it's a day earlier because we recorded on Wednesday last week, but that's okay. Yeah. It's uh, no. I'm I'm really adapting pretty well to this thing. Uh, Do I want to know what the yelling is? No, probably not. Um, okay. Some of us are adapting better than others. Uh, yeah. No, I'm doing pretty well. I go sit in the garden and write. Uh, I go wander around weed things. I harvest some tomatoes. Um, I'm not. I'm not feeling miserable. Um, I'm not. You know, I, I've I've really adapted. I think pretty well to the situation and. Which just goes to show humans can get used to anything. And obviously we have the space to do it, which, you know, makes all the difference. But, yeah, I'm hanging in there pretty well. And, uh, of course, now that I've said this, like, in public, uh, tomorrow I will go into a crushing spiral of despair, probably. But I mean, that's how it works. Frequently. Frequently. Uh, I was uh, having an interesting conversation on Twitter about ADHD Mm -hmm. earlier where – uh, a couple friends of mine, or a friend of mine who is like, you know, I am tired all the time, and it, this is just so depressing, and I see this stretching out in front of me, you know, just being anxious and miserable and unable to get anything done, and never feeling any better, and I'm like, so, uh... Not to, you know, diagnose or anything. We're good enough friends that I can come in and say this. Do not do this to random strangers. I was like, (laughs) you sound exactly like me before my ADD diagnosis. And I got so much energy once that started being treated. And I wasn't burning through all of my energy on the anxiety. Because anxiety is actually cannibalizing your your energy to yeah. make the anxiety. Oh, it's yeah, like, yeah. Like half of your brain is your, your, you know, your calories are getting shunted over to run the, the, the crazy treadmill of doom. And so, uh, yeah, once, once the ADD meds kicked in, suddenly I had so much energy because I was not having to run the treadmill of doom in my head. And, uh, even when it wears off, you still have energy. 
Yeah. Because you're yeah. not, because the because treadmill of doom. Spent, you know, like, yeah. like uh, eight hours on the treadmill of doom. And uh, the, the friend was like, you know, I've, I've wondered about that. I've, I've been watching your comments about it. And this does sound a lot like what I've got and everyone's description of it, you know, <laughs> and uh, maybe I should look into this. And I'm like, yeah, you know, and, and she had the same problem that many of us have, which is that if you're, uh, female presenting and you aren't trouble and you sit and daydream and you aren't bouncing off the walls, you will go undiagnosed forever. If, uh, unless people like basically, uh, sit on your head and go, go call about getting diagnosed because have you noticed the bit where you're, uh, I, well, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> you realize not one friend of yours is even mildly astonished. We're all like, this is our shocked face. Our uh, shocked face. And and I was really lucky. I want to point that out because I was another person I was talking to said that, you know, they had to go to multiple doctors who said things like, you can't have it because you're an adult and you're fine. Or, you know, oh, you must just have anxiety because... Uh, Didn't they try that with you? Uh, just, no, no, you just have anxiety? No, no. They, they were like, uh, take an anxiety test, too. But uh, no, once the... Uh, it was weird. Once the psychologist talked to me, all of a sudden they were like, yeah, you have some... Yeah. Yeah. Clinical. <coughs> Clinically significant? Clinically significant, I yes. believe was the term used multiple Repeatedly times. Repeatedly and yes. underlined. Uh, yeah. But lots of Circles and arrows like, in the back of each form. Yeah. Uh, but people say, you know, you'll get doctors saying things like, no, you graduated from college, you can't have ADHD, or you wouldn't have been able to do that. And that is a load of festering horse shit. And if a doctor says that to you, you have my permission to punch them in the nads, that permission Ooh. will not get you anywhere in a court of law. I just want to be clear, but uh, I will never hold it against you. So uh, if you have heard things like that, or if you thought, no, I've, you know, gotten diagnosed or, or I haven't gotten diagnosed because I graduated from college or I got this stuff done, so I can't have it. No, bad, bad doctor. Go. Also, yeah. it just makes me so angry. I could have been such a powerhouse for years. Oh, believe me, I'm 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 okay uh, with with you with a late in life diagnosis, not for any rational reason, but had you been a powerhouse, that I would have never met you. Well, you might have. I mean, no, what I would have been like <laughs> globe trotting or something. I just. Saying I did pretty well with even with the frequent naps, uh, but yeah, just so mm -hmm. much energy all the time. Good God, yeah. I don't have to get a take a nap unless it's super gray or there's no one to fight with on the internet. And even then, sometimes you don't nap anyway. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, yeah. So that makes me angry, man. So that's us this week. Yes, um, yes. I'm the, doing well. You're doing well. I'm doing well. doing well. The, the chickens are doing well. Uh, I'm still live streaming the babies uh, from approximately the time I get up uh, and let them out. Okay, the live stream starts probably around dawn. I get up and let them out later. Uh, but uh, until, um, I guess, just after sunset, which is about the time they go to bed. And I often have the... Uh, sometimes the bedtime cam view 
Uh, okay, up. I'm realizing that it's starting to get dark out, and I need to go water the tomatoes. So wrap this up, man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, 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 no. It's <laughs> it's fine. It's fine. So anyway, um, they're growing. It's been fantastic. Uh, for everything else going on, I think we're we're coping and have adjusted pretty well. Uh, and uh, I hope everybody else out there is too. So what we're going to do is I'm going to go ahead and introduce you all to Maggie, who is Frank Gosser's. Uh, sister, who has been on the show, The Potter. Uh, absolutely fantastic talking with her. Um, it's been almost two months now. Uh, so um, there's, you know, some things have changed since then. So just keep that in mind. But I hope everyone enjoys it as much as I did. And we will have that for you right after this. folks i am here today with maggie and maggie you are related to frank who was on the show before i am i am frank's younger sister all righty um and so this is going to sound weird uh i'm going in a little blind Uh, this is purely because frank recommended you and i'm like if frank recommends someone i'm going so can you Introduce yourself and tell us about what it is you do. Sure. Uh, So I am, again, I'm Maggie. I work in my work life. uh, I work in a very large large corporation in the financial services industry. I'm an operations manager. I mostly will say that I am a manager of people and process. Uh, And I've been doing that for a number of years. In my personal life, I am a musician. And so like Frank, you know, we were both smart kids and artists. And uh, he, in his livelihood, went down the artistry way. And I went down the kind of the corporate way. Um, But again, both artists as we go. Oh, yeah. Uh, And then, right. And I'm also, in my personal life, I'm also a shaman. So I'm sort of a multifaceted person, I guess, as we all are. Oh, yeah. No, uh, no, I, I don't think I've ever talked to someone who is just like, this is what I do. This is all I do. So except the occasional writer, because yeah. writers are like that sometimes. <laughs> right. So with all that, um, how do you keep yourself organized and productive? Yeah, good question. I keep <laughs> lists, mm-hmm. uh, especially in my work life. I keep lists. Uh, I keep folders and I'm gradually, I'm a little old school, even though maybe I shouldn't be. So I'm a little little bit of a paper and pencil. Mind me where I take ways and people. Yeah. Okay. Um, To some of the newer software. Can you repeat that? Because we just had a network glitch and it just glitched right out. I'll edit it after the fact. Yeah, I, just, <laughs> I figured. 
so I keep lists. That's mm-hmm. the way that I keep myself organized. Uh, I keep folders, and this is my old project management background. You know, one folder per project. Mm-hmm. Keeping notes in a way that reminds me whose takeaways are what. Um, I'm switching those over to electronic files. You know, there's all kinds of easy software packages to make those kinds of notes easy. And to not so easy, but yeah. Right, right. And, you know, you can you can share your notes or I can share my one-on-one agendas with people or they can share theirs with me um, or not. But, you know, at the end of the day, or especially on a Friday afternoon, I take mm-hmm. careful notes about the things that I still owe people so that Monday morning when I have Monday morning brain, I can, <laughs> I can sit down at my desk, I can pull out my Friday afternoon notes and say, oh, yes, I owe these things to my boss, I owe these things to my direct reports, you know. Do you also cover things in there like uh, the things you expect from other people? Yes. Uh, yep. That's, that's the other part of my notes. You know, what do you owe me? What do I owe you? Um, and especially again, especially with my direct reports, cause I meet with them on a weekly basis, mm-hmm. which I think is the other way to keep myself organized and productive is, uh, to interface with the people who t- typically owe me things, uh, or <laughs> I owe them things. Uh, yeah, no, I, uh, it wasn't until I want to say later in my career, like the last several years that my management has started to have one-on-one meetings. Like, um, so early in my career, a regular weekly check-in was not something you would have. Of course, in small companies didn't need it because I'm like sitting next to my boss often. Uh, But, it's having a scheduled regular one-on-one with my, my team lead, uh, my manager, the occasional skip level with my boss's boss um, Mm -hmm. has been uh, really invaluable. And I was surprised that this felt like a new thing to the tech world. Cause I I'm guessing based on all the reading I've done on management, that this is a regular thing that had been happening everywhere else. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I think that's, that might be fair to say for my company, my -hmm. current company as well, that the operations side of things, which is where I live Mm -hmm. is, is very committed to regular checkpoints, whether that's, you know, like you said, two downs, one downs, my Mm -hmm. one downs and I meet every week and it might only be a half an hour. Uh, I have a newer person on my team and we spend an hour a week at least. Um, but it gives them a chance to know that they can get at me and my calendar as well. Yeah. And I very much value my time with my boss. Um, but I would say on the technology side, there was historically sort of this mindset that, you know, you have to let people do their work and they're at their computers writing code and making, you know, making magic. So we just need to let them make their magic. Yeah. And, it's certainly changed um, as the ability to be remote that so many people are discovering now uh, has uh, taken more hold uh, for us early adopters. Yeah. Um, And I think that's something that I'm hoping managers are seeing who are used to 
being able to just drop by a desk or something or starting to see the value in a regular check-in versus the, the random drop-in that uh-huh. so many in my past have used. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, to your point about larger companies or smaller companies, you know, I work in a, in quite a large company. And so my team, people that work for me are all across the U S so a couple of them are fortunate enough. I think I'm fortunate enough to be able to have face to face one-on-ones with them. But you know, some of the folks in my group have worked for me for three years and I've only been in the same room with them probably two or three times. So, (laughs) you know, we, we, to, you know, picking up the phone using, you know, internet chat, Skype, mm-hmm. whatever. Um, you know, my company uses WebEx, but we don't necessarily always use video. Right. Sometimes we do. <laughs> but you do have to be more more planful mm-hmm. if you're not in the same room with somebody. Yeah, it's uh, especially interesting since I have only spent physically in person, probably roughly uh, four days at our global event with my manager because he's in New yeah. Zealand. Yeah. So, yeah. you so know, time it's, zone and distance. Yeah. And that's, that's always been a, a frustration for people making that the, the transition is what if the person on the other end or who's making the schedule doesn't respect time zone differences. Right. So, and I think a lot of people are getting that now too. Right. Yeah. You know, it is a good point that that the workplace has really changed for many of us significantly in the last mm-hmm. eight weeks. Yeah. Right? So, you know, my frontline employees are are non-exempt. And so the rule has the HR rule has always been, you know, because of Fair Labor Labor Standards Act, you don't want non-exempt people working from home because you don't want to risk not paying them for the time that they're working because it's, you know, Besides being immoral, it's illegal. Right. So, but now all of a sudden, wow, we need to get everybody home. And so my group of, you know, 120 people, all of a sudden we were loading remote software onto their workstations and they were carrying them home. Some on the bus, God love them, (laughs) you know? Yeah. Yeah. So we, you know, we all got home, but now the, the cool thing is we figured out how to make that happen. Productivity is up. They're happy because they can manage everything they have to manage right now. And, and the other, I guess, the silver lining part of this is that their frontline managers have now learned to manage remotely. And yeah. that's a career a development step for, for anybody who's moving up the management ranks, you know, to be able to work and, and manage remotely. So it, it's been great for them, challenging, oh, yeah. but a good thing. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm looking at, at my notes and I'm going, yeah, Frank's a big user of lists too. So, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, same brain, mm-hmm. different, uh, different iteration, maybe. Yeah. So that covers the work stuff. What about, um, what about for the musician or, or shamanistic side of things? Yeah, it's, you know, I use, I use lists in my home life as well. Or oh, the other mm-hmm. thing I didn't mention about myself is that I have five children, uh, three of whom still live at home. Oh, uh, yeah, okay. <laughs> four of whom are teenagers. And um, <laughs> I'm not quite sure what we were thinking, but it, it's been a good, <laughs> it's been a wonderful thing so far. But yeah, so I use lists there. Um, mm-hmm. Music-wise... I, 
how do I, you know, I probably don't worry so much about keeping myself organized musically because it's, it's a different kind of a different side of my brain. And so I'm Mm -hmm. okay letting that be a little more, uh, just a little more free form, a lot more free form. Um, You know, in, in my shaman self, Mm -hmm. I'm in the fourth year of a mystery school program. And so I do need to be organized about getting my homework done and I've got weekly deliverables and I meet with my mentor on Sundays. And so uh, that's a morning, that's kind of a daily check-in. Did I get my daily work done? What's due this week? So the list is kind of given to me there, but yeah, I think I still keep lists. Yeah, and it's it's interesting. I, I notice that um, there is such a strong component when working in spiritual spaces uh, educationally, right? I mean, right. Um, and it doesn't seem to matter what uh, denomination or um, group or schooling it is there's so much on the daily discipline whether it's a part-time whether it's extended learning right um yeah i was going to say that too it is um in in some ways it's the same whether it's my corporate position or whether it's my shaman self or my musician self mm -hmm. it is about a daily routine and about Mm -hmm. my you know my early morning routine might include a walk or a bike ride now that it's warm enough in you know in my part of the country (laughs) um but it very definitely very definitely includes time to sit time to meditate time to do my gratitude journal time to let come whatever is going to come and that part i don't have control over i don't choose to control but i do create space for it and that segues really nicely into what habits do you find valuable? And I see right there, daily meditation, daily time to sit. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yes, very much so. Um, uh, a habit that I find, I find valuable, especially in this COVID-19 world where, you know, leaving the house is not something we do a whole lot. Uh, I find a walk or a bike ride really, really helpful every day, even if it's only 20 minutes, um, because it sort of clears my brain. It's best if I do it in the morning. And, yeah. uh, and, and then I come back and I sit to kind of further clear things out. And, um, and then I'm sort of ready for my day. Uh, what else? The other, I guess, in my work life, uh, years and years ago, I studied Stephen Covey and the, you know, kind of carried a Franklin planner when, oh, the, yeah. when the Franklin planner strut was cool. Um, oh, yeah. <laughs> but, but I did, you know, the one image that, from that whole training that stays with me really is about, you know, what, when you're putting the rocks in the, in the bowl or in oh, the yeah. container big ones in first so you make sure you have room for the important stuff and then everything else sort of filters in so it is there is that is again the list part Mm -hmm. for me and about prioritizing my list uh interestingly enough um i have also been through the the covey i have also kept 
Uh, Franklin Planner, let's be honest, that's probably what set me in the path that inevitably led me to having a podcast. Um, but uh, um, it's not just the big rocks, it's the sharpen the saw statement um, yeah. that, that, that he talks about in that, about making sure you take the time to uh, address the relationships that need addressing, that you're improving yourself at the same time, right? Right, right. Yeah, I agree with that. And, and that's, a, that's an interesting, over the course of time, an interesting mm-hmm. challenge to remain uh, stretched to continue learning. I think it, it's really easy to get really, really busy with whatever's coming at me at, mm. at any given time. And, you know, I, I spent about 20 years in the same kind of department in the same electronic payments world. And I grew up yeah. through the world. So I, you know, I progressed, um, but there was a point where I felt like I had gotten really static. And mm-hmm. I think in part it was that I had, you know, I kind of had sharpened the saw so many times that the teeth were, <laughs> were getting <laughs> kind of gone, you know? Yeah. And so I, I hopped over into a new area, into some kind of compliance-related uh, world about three years ago, and it was a whole new saw. And I oh, really yeah. liked it. You know, I think that's our other challenge is not let ourselves get stagnant in the world we're in because we're comfortable. Uh, yeah, and it's sometimes it's really easy to do in tech, too. It's like, this is the thing I work on. This is the thing... Uh, this is the thing I'm good at. And so I don't want to go work on other things because I might not be good at them. Mm-hmm. Um, I see that a lot with engineers who are looking to change jobs or whatever. Um, I at least yeah, I- chose a section that has so many different aspects that uh, even if I'm staying in the same general area of my field, there's still always something to learn. Right. Yeah. There's. I've. I've kind of... I hold this theory called the 10 year syndrome where, you know, once we've been in a position for 10 years, we convince ourselves that we don't know how to do anything else. We could never go anywhere else and be paid what we're being paid to do this job. And it's sort of a self-fulfilling prophecy until either we move ourselves or something moves us. And, you know, sometimes people will, you know, Mm -hmm. know, things happen like and I think often I've heard people say it was what I needed because it, it really pushed me forward or propelled me in a different direction. Yeah. It's almost as, uh, as bad as when you're really good at something and instead of giving you opportunities, uh, the company says, no, 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 no. You're too valuable where you are. We're not going to move you. Yeah. Yeah, so I've done a fair amount of work in the diversity, equity, and inclusion space. Mm -hmm. And in my own company, we started a a kind of a senior level, what was D&I then, but DEI council like eight years ago or so, and I was on the inaugural council. And we, you know, and of course in the women's space, uh, and probably in professionals of color, we talk a lot about the glass ceiling. But I think the more important image for me was the sticky floor which is exactly what you were talking about just now. Yeah. Um, and uh, I, I will say the last time it happened to me, I, I expressed an interest of moving to a whole different world, actually project management. 
Mm-hmm. Um, and actually was said, oh, yes, we, we will work with you. Oh, no, you, you need to do this. No, we can't do that now. No, you're too valuable where you're at. And yeah. that is probably the most frustrating for at least at an individual contributor level um, when you want to move your career forward and there are actually roadblocks. Yes. And, you know, it's a challenge. I think it's a management challenge, too. Mm-hmm. And, for you know, for me, you know, who, who wants to have their best people go do something else? And at the same time, you know, you have to be honest with yourself that everybody deserves to move their career forward. And it's really, it's my job to help people do that. And yep. so that means that I have to be willing to sponsor them into a position that's a perfect fit for them, even though I hate to see them go. It's my responsibility to help them understand what they need or to give them the exposure to get them where they want to go. And at the end of the Mm -hmm. day, I still have to, you know, sometimes just bite my tongue and be quiet because now they get to go do something else. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So case in point, my, my group was just reorged actually just last week, a week ago, Monday. (laughs) That and, must have been fun remote oh, too. Yeah, right. <laughs> um, exactly. So the uh, so a year ago, I was asked to take on some additional responsibility with one of my directs who is is brilliant, and uh, we've been building out automation. As mm-hmm. you know, my my overall team really isn't about automation, but we had done such fabulous things in my group that they're like, "Oh, you need to do more for all of Ops Services." Oh yeah, like, bring it on! This is going to be fun, and it was a blast. And so, you know, in a year's time, or since from April to the end of the year, you know, they delivered probably a million and a half in bottom line savings just by automating manual. Oh process, yeah, right. Yeah. So now then of course, okay, that starts to be obvious. And somebody says, Hey, wait a minute. Why aren't they in the transformation office? They shouldn't be in your group. You're just an <laughs> ops team. So anyway, so you know, this direct report, again, brilliant person, it you know, moves over into this other group. Okay, you know what? It's the absolute right thing for her and her career. And I'm oh, yeah. over here with my arms folded going, darn it. I really liked doing that work. And I really (laughs) loved working with that person. And so, you know, on her first day under a new manager at three o'clock, I, I pinged her and said, okay, I can't go a whole day without needing you. I need a conversation about something. (laughs) So, yeah, you know, it it is, it is part of the job and it's the right thing to do Mm -hmm. for people. And you know what, the other thing though, that's cool is then you get a reputation for where people, good people know that they can come through your organization yeah, and, and get somewhere and learn something and be sponsored into the next. So really once a manager gets past that, uh, that trepidation about losing good people, they figure out that there's always good people right behind them. And I think that uh, from an organizational perspective, if you've built the right group, and have the right manager that then the organization benefits because they know if someone goes through this group that they're going to be developing, they're going to be improving, they're going to be suited for other roles in the company. And that's actually going to reduce attrition. Right. That's exactly right. Yeah. Yeah. So the, the position that I was actually a brand new position, you know, it was compliance related. I can mm-hmm. say it's in the anti-money laundering space generally, which 
you know, anybody <laughs> who knows this kind of realm knows that's been kind of a big deal since two big planes flew into two big towers. Yeah. And yeah. everybody wondered where in the world they got the money. Mm. Um, so, so anyway, the position was to build a centralized team. Mm-hmm. And so I was hired and, and immediately handed six, five or six open racks. Okay, go, go hire a team. And, and I had been in this company long enough that I knew people from all around. It wasn't hard to build that team. I had people coming to me saying, hey, I heard you have a position open. Yeah. I heard you have kind of a higher level management position open. How about I come work for you? And so it's been a lot of fun to build that. And again, to see people really expand their, their careers and expand their knowledge base and build this whole very functional, very high functioning team. And now, of course, you know, we did it. We moved into a new software. You know, now we're at a point where we don't need as many people to be building. So, you know, people are able to move into new realms, which is why this person moved on. And take some of that knowledge, especially around automation, which I'm a big fan of, um, to other groups and make them more efficient. Yes. Yeah. 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 Very, very true. Yeah. And, you know, one of the, I think one of the challenges of being in operations uh, in general is that if you're too good at it, then your software packages kind of get behind because whatever the, you know, whatever the software deficiencies are, the apps team will handle it manually. And so, you know, or if a customer wants, you know, purple instead of green and Mm -hmm. the package can't do it well now, well, I, you know, I've got markers, I can color that, you know, so, you know, pretty soon you have a, a team that's really doing crazy things on the behalf of the customer. And, you know, we don't, we don't complain about customers, but no. um, but it's really good now to see that kind of intelligence come into the apps teams ourselves where we, we're not dependent on the development teams to write it. We're starting to write our own oh, yeah. shit, you know, scripts and getting things done more intelligently, really. Yeah, and it's, it's also interesting from a uh, perspective of where I'm at because we've had this whole uh, shift in my industry. Uh, I am technically in IT operations, server operations. I'm one of, when you think about the guy who goes into the data center and plugs the things in, and yeah, we used to do that. And there's been that whole big shift to virtual machines and how do we deploy those and now cloud instances and how does that interact? And, um, and it's, it's come a long way from the days where I have to go to, uh, uh, Amazon and click a couple buttons to make things to, okay, now I have to, uh, I'm, I'm defining it so that someone else can run it somewhere else and repeat it all the time kind of stuff. Right. And, right. and that's important in, in both our industries because if you can't repeat what I'm doing easily, then it becomes a maintenance nightmare. If you can't repeat the math in yours, you can't prove it works. <laughs> Right. <laughs> right. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Um, so what about, uh, and we've, we've, we talked a little bit about personal habits as well. Um, what other, what other habits or uh, practices are you doing on the regular that help keep you moving forward? Ah, uh, you know, this is, this is a place where, 
in some ways where I think I could be better, though I, I have in the last few years, you know, with building a new team and, and being so focused on, you know, hiring and training 150 people in a short period of time and then going straight into a new software uh, platform replacement, I probably haven't done as much, uh, spent as much time in my own personal development. Mm-hmm. So that's, that's my goal for this year is two things. is One, in a way to get a little more detailed knowledge of all of the, the processes we've put in place. And mm-hmm. second is actually to, to look at, you know, where are the things that I had to sort of skip past because I was busy with this other project. Right. Right. Now I need to go back and kind of, kind of learn some of that. And, you know, some of that is as simple as, you know, we switched over as an organization, we switched over into some, learned how to use but I didn't really learn how they work <laughs> and it bothered me to not know how they work yeah uh, so there's a little bit of that um but I think the larger piece really is to is to set a goal for myself and I typically will do a six month long or a year long goal so that I know over the course of this year here's what we're going to accomplish both in my group and and as well as here's what you know what I personally am going to accomplish and so that's, that's kind of the best way that I keep myself moving forward. The other mm-hmm. thing is, you know, grandmother Google and, and I, <laughs> you know, have to make the commitment to myself to either, you know, take a little note to look something up later or, you know, frankly, just pull up my little handheld computer and yeah. pull something up. And, you know, and that one of the good things I'll say, there are many good things about having five children, but one of the good things <laughs> is, is that I learn from them. And, you know, my, even, I see a huge difference even between my 23-year-old and my 13-year-old, mm-hmm. you know, the top and the bottom end of things in their technology skill set. And a lot of it is, you know, they pull up a YouTube video Oh, well, I don't know how to do that. Well, yeah, mommy, just Google it or look at a YouTube video. It'll take like five minutes to learn how to do that. <laughs> I, I think it's been interesting. Um, my youngest is uh, 18. He's going off to college next year. Yep. Last one. Um, of course, we only did two, my ex-wife and I. So, oh, wow. you know. There you go. Um, but <laughs> it's, it's interesting to watch his technical skills that are at least in terms of, you know, the tools we all use every day are equal to or better than mine. Um, I mean, he can't write code to deploy a server, but that's not his specialty, right? I'm a specialist. Um, But he's got the tech. He's got, you know, that other understanding. He doesn't have what we would call the soft skills. He's still learning the organizational, what works for him, what doesn't. Uh, And that's always a fascinating process. It's interesting to, you know, it's interesting to raise kids in this, in mm-hmm. this world right now. And, and especially, you know, now that we're all homeschooling our kids, you know, along with the schools, but uh, it, it is a different world because of the level of technology. You're mm-hmm. right. that they have to them, they don't necessarily learn the soft skills, but you know what? Kids don't necessarily learn soft skills easily anyway. You know, middle school is not the place it's a great place that you wish they had them, but you know, <laughs> yeah, yeah. They, they figure what they figure out there, I think is hygiene. And then maybe in high school, they start to learn soft skills. 
But yeah. I think that's the thing that I mentor my older kids on most often is they'll, you know, my 19 year old doesn't live at home anymore. And, and, um, but he'll call and say, you know, mommy, I, I have a situation with my landlord or I have a situation mm-hmm. with, um, you know, my, an instructor at school or, you know, the ballet, he's a ballet dancer. And, you know, can you talk this through with me? So, it, yeah. you know, it is interesting. And, and of course I'll call him and say, okay, I, you know, we're all worshiping online now. And, <laughs> yeah. I, you know, what is that software that everybody's using where we all play or sing individually and then we bring it all together? And he's like, oh yeah, I can help you with that. And, yeah. you know, let's load some remote access software. And, I, and as you're recording, I'll actually, you know, do the work for you while you're playing and singing or whatever. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's so, been it's a trade-off. Yeah. It's it's been most interesting because um I mean, he's an adult. And so there he's learning some of those expectations and I've gone from I really need to set him up to to succeed in in life and academically going to school to I just need to make sure he's going to be a good roommate for somebody. <laughs> you know, uh, if you're having a bad brain day, it's okay to talk to me about it, to say that. We'll we'll work with it. You know, right. um, don't half-ass something because you're having a bad brain day. Right. <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah. You know, when years ago, when my oldest was probably 10 or mm-hmm. 11, uh, we, we lived in, in Minneapolis, very close to the University of Minnesota main campus. So there are many, many, many college mm-hmm. students in our grocery store, uh, you know, starting at yep. the end of August every year. And, you know, I remember uh, one year I came home from the grocery store at about said, believe me, before you leave home, you will know how to grocery shop. <laughs> what I just saw right? in that store is completely unmanageable. <laughs> and, and she came back to me. No kidding. It was like three months ago. And she said, yeah, I totally get what you said about that grocery shop thing. And I'm really glad you taught me how to grocery shop before I left home. Yeah. <laughs> oh yeah. So, oh, we've, we've, we've kind of touched on it. I think you actually already answered this one. And that is what, uh, how do you decide what to do first in the morning yeah. on any given day? Yeah, it's an interesting especially in the world of operations management. Mm-hmm. Now I'm a little, I'm not frontline management anymore. So my day is still a little more my own, you know, when yeah. I managed a shift, something would happen. And wow, my, you know, if I'm in production, I, I can plan as well as I can. And then I have to react. Um, but in my world now, yeah, it, I do have more control over my day. I still have things that are urgent but the, and the challenge is to make sure to prioritize what's urgent mm-hmm. um, as opposed to, you know, what's an emergency. Uh, you know, you still have to respond to that. But it is really a matter of, I think it is a matter of keeping a good list, keeping, you know, really being able to evaluate. And, that, and even that is still making a decision between what's important and what's urgent and what's yep. emergent, you know. Um, but it does really boil down to short-term as well as long-term impacts. You still have to do what's important. Do you uh, do you still use the quadrant? I I 
don't, I probably use it internally, <laughs> but I don't use it, um, you know, kind of in a formal way anymore. Yeah. For for and those who may not know, I'm, I'm talking about uh, sometimes it's the, the Covey square, uh, the technical term is the Eisenhower quadrants, because right. it was uh, a method from uh, Dwight D. Eisenhower about, you know, you have your urgent, you're important, you're not important, you're urgent, you're not urgent, and balancing out you know, finding where something fits and prioritizing based on that. Yeah. Right. Um, right. And I still, yeah. I, I'll still draw it out and throw like, you know, things on it just to make sure I'm not missing something. Right. Yeah. I think I used that most when I was in a project management role, mm-hmm. you know, because that, that is one where you really have to be planful or you miss something important. Um, and and then you know then then of course you have long term ripples and short term ripples. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So do you work in an in an agile environment? Everybody's you know capital A agile. No, uh, I mean we have we use the concept of sprints and we do you know planning around. Uh, it's much more milestone. It's not sprints. It's milestones. Um, yeah. We're we're much more timed release company. So mm-hmm. we're going to cut a release on such and such a day or right. in such and such a time period. But because the majority of what we do is like it's open source development, right? So official releases like of the software that people use and can download and all that stuff is, um, you know, there's, there's a, a pretty regular cadenced release on that. Um, mm-hmm. internally, I work on the cloud service that we provide using that software. So if okay. you want to use our software, but you don't want to have to maintain it in-house and that mm-hmm. stuff, we have a service for that. Um, right. And so on that, we have a much more, yes, we're doing what is considered a release every two weeks because we need to move quick to get those improvements out to the customers uh, sometimes that means we're doing deploys every two weeks. Sometimes it doesn't. I'm at least far enough removed from that where mine is much more, okay, I've got about a month to make sure that this, that we have, we've built out and we can start deploying to, um, uh, I don't know, um, Google Cloud in South Carolina. Like, you know, Amazon just spun something up in, in a new a new region in Australia. My group is the one that does all the work so that when it's time for when when it's time for customers to be actually actually able to use it, we're the people who do all the infrastructure underneath that. Yeah. Right. So so it's it's a much it's not capital I, I A agile. In, in, yeah. Right. Yet yeah, I I don't um I'm not an expert on it by any means, but mm-hmm. I find that it is an interesting, uh, an interesting way to look at being organized. And you know, some of it is is you know interesting terminology that you know some words that I wouldn't even have ever thought I'd be using in the in the corporate world. You know, like Scrum seems like a like an odd word. You know, and, but oh, yeah. All that aside, though. Mm-hmm. Uh, it is an interesting new way to, to be organizing, uh, new way to look at it. I, I think what I'm trying to get at is just the, your point about trying to move quickly and needing to be mm-hmm. able to move quickly 
uh, to move things to market or to move things into production and how we kind of juxtapose that with the need to control change so that our production environments remain remain solid and mm-hmm. um, has been an interesting shift for us. So interesting side note. Uh, I don't know if I've brought this up on the show before, but uh, uh, Andy Hunt, who wrote The Pragmatic Programmer, he was one of the people who wrote the original Agile Manifesto. Uh, uh-huh. I watched him deliver a keynote at our local tech conference a couple years ago. And he said his biggest regret is that people didn't know, a lot of people haven't realized that the Agile Manifesto and Agile is meant to be open. And it is not carved in stone. The whole purpose of the Agile Manifesto is to be Agile and to adapt with it. So uh, I don't think Andy believes in the capital A Agile, as it were. Um, And yet he's one of the people who essentially, uh, you know, pushed the movement to mainstream. Um, Anytime you have someone who talks about, you know, capital A Agile as a a formal process, um, that's almost antithetical (laughs) to the design. Yeah, it it is interesting. It you know it's the constant, uh, it's the it's the constant corporate way of wanting to structure and wanting to control for the variables and and wanting mm-hmm. to, you know, get everybody on board. And especially if you're in a company with, you know, thirty thousand, sixty thousand, eighty thousand, hundred thousand people, you know, you can't just be going off willy nilly doing things. You know, everybody thinks there's no way to be flexible. Um, but I was, and, and so then, you know, we, then we end up with a capital A on a word that's supposed to be lowercase. Yeah, as it were. You know, yeah. Just had a conversation today. Uh, one, of, one of the guys on my team, I asked him to put together uh, kind of a series of blogs mm-hmm. around what were the development opportunities or the good things that came out of our reaction to COVID-19. Yep. And so, and he put together this brilliant you know, COVID silver linings uh, playbook. Oh, and nice. So, right. So, so, and he's working with other folks in the team to put together these, you know, the short three minute blogs, five minute blogs, and, you know, to kind of get people thinking about what did we learn and what are the good things. So, one of the things he was talking about today is how, in the move to get everybody off site and safe, Mm-hmm. You know, it was really, you know, we were changing direction. I mean, I could be on a phone call for an hour and, and the direction will have changed three times yep. because everybody's trying to figure this out. But at the end of the day, it was largely, it was the frontline people that were like, oh, we got this. And, you know, my team was offsite, built, you know, broke through the barriers, got it done, you know, with or without me telling them what to do and with or without my boss telling me to tell them what to do, they got it done. So now, of course, as we start looking at, well, how are we going to bring people back on site eventually? Yeah. Oh, my gosh, we have this big process around it because we have to, you know, back to this, we've got to control it, we've got to structure it. And there's, and I don't mean to, to you know, to be disrespectful of planning because, <laughs> you know, that, that's, it's not my point. But it was an interesting, it, it is an interesting juxtaposition of, you know, sort of right brain and left brain thinking of, yes, we can plan this all out, but at the end of the day, we still need to be flexible and we still need to completely turn on a dime when plan A isn't going to work and plan B yeah. get it done in two days. 
Uh, mm-hmm. Well, and it's a it's an interesting logistical problem. Now, this is not something we're going to have to deal with because my company is remote first, which has been joyous. Mm-hmm. Um, but right. looking at the whole logistics around, like bringing a large workforce back into an office, of is it safe? Do we want to do it phased? Do we? Um, you know, is is there a, a a stop point where we go? Okay, let's reverse all of that because maybe it turns out that we get that second or third wave. Uh, yeah. It's going. You know, uh, when when is it okay to bring all of that back in? Or more importantly, do we want to bring all of that back in? Right. You know. And, and do we um, need to? Yeah. So that you know, that's the other thing. You know, back to agile and some of the some of the understood principles is, you know, when we have a work team, you know, we we had a direction where we were saying, no, we want everybody on site so that we can have these face to face, and we got mm-hmm. these new, you know, work labs and you know, kind of desk work zones, that sort of thing, and we just were moving toward that. And then this hit and everybody's home. And now, of course, we're going back and saying, well, gee, we seem to have figured this out without having to expand our commercial real estate, without having to oh, rebuild yeah. areas. Yeah, it's, a, it's, an interesting, uh, it's an interesting time. And, I, and, and yes, there have to be lots of considerations for bringing people back together. But you make a good point that, it, you know, the end state doesn't, need to look like the beginning state. I, I actually have been wondering as all of this has started, as the companies have made it, how many companies are going to look at that commercial real estate bill and realize we don't need it anymore. Yeah. You know, yeah. do we need to be spending a million dollars on an office space when our people can be remote? Um, right. Also, I'm going to use it as an argument next time I'm job hunting. And they're like, well, after six months on site and you've proven it, then we, we will let you work from home one day a month. And, you know, I'm going to be like, I, you, prior to the situation, I would be like, that is not how remote work works. And right. now after it, that argument of, well, we need to make sure, blah, 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 whatever the arguments are around not, I believe, are all have all been disproven in the last six or eight weeks. So yeah. it's going to be a really interesting shift because I don't think we're going to go back to that same situation. Yeah, I think that's right. Yeah. And, you know, I do think, too, as this evolves, you know, we will evolve our, our HR processes a mm-hmm. little bit. We'll, undoubtedly, we'll evolve our software kind of monitoring software, you know, I, I mean, I already know when you log on, you, you know, it's not that hard for the company to know yeah, what, what yeah. time did Maggie log in today. Uh, you know, what, Ma- what time did Maggie's computer go dark for half an hour when she mm-hmm. took her, life? you know, that sort of thing. Um, so, you know, longer term, we'll start to have to find ways to monitor bad behavior because bad behavior yeah. exists. Um, but yeah, it doesn't necessarily have to mean that I have to be able to see the, you know, see your eyes to know whether you're working or not. Yeah. Um, and there is, and I hate these by the way, 
I hate these. There's a whole industry around monitoring and making sure your employees are working when they say you're working. And this whole, we can take remote snapshots of their machines so that we, you can prove or whatever. Um, that industry gives me the hives in general. Yeah. Um, <laughs> right. Uh, so, I mean, it's going to be interesting to see how companies start to implement that. From a security standpoint, we know how to do this, right? right? We've known how to do that. VPNs and access controls and all that stuff. Um, it's the other controls that maybe some managers who don't trust their people are going to be trying to push that make it kind of dangerous, right? Yeah. So it's going to be interesting. Yeah. Yep. I, I would agree with that. Mm-hmm. Hey, there's one more habit that mm-hmm. I think is important to talk about. And it's, it's, uh, it's not a work habit so much as it is a life habit. And that's the, you know, the, the other thing about, about my life, I have five kids, but I also have been married for it. Yeah. And, you know, it's pretty young bride probably imagine um yeah the other the other habit really is about making time for the important people as Mm -hmm. well as the important things in life and um you know with with this change in family habit one of the (laughs) things that that we've been really enjoying is the opportunity to eat dinner together and you know people who are older than i am are probably already tisk tisk and saying, yeah, we did that all the time when we were kids. Well, yeah, I did too. Yeah. Um, yeah. But, you know, with kids dancing all over town and doing all kinds of whatevers, we were chasing around a lot. And we're not doing that now, and I really appreciate it. Yeah. And, you know, and the other thing is, too, now that the snow has melted and it's, you know, above freezing most days, <laughs> <laughs> you know, my wife and I meet on the swing out back yeah. at 7 o'clock or 6.30 every night. And, you know, it's our time. That, mm-hmm. So that's an important, a really important component as well. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, believe me. Um, I mean, we're all, we all work from home here as it were. Um, yeah. So, but it's, it's easy to get wrapped up in that I'm working, especially when you work from home. Um, I'm working all the time and lose sight of that. Well, of course they're here. So I don't need to X or Y or, but no, you need to take that time uh, daily. Sometimes Um, there's, you know, there's a a point in time every night where it's just Ursula and I are, are in our bedroom and she might be playing a video game and I might be on my laptop working on a thing, but we are interacting because we're talking to each other, but we're, we're present for each other. Even if we've, you know, reached that stage where maybe verbal communication isn't necessary. We, we value that quiet time where it's just the two of us. Yeah. Even if we're doing our own thing, we, 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 it's important for us to take that time together. Yep. Yep. Yeah. I agree with that. Mm-hmm. And that is a great segue into <laughs> I told you they were a guide. Yeah. Um, uh, what is the best advice you have been given and, or what is the best advice you would give someone else? Mm, yeah, that's a good, you know, the, the, there's, there's a lot, I've had a lot of good advice over time. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think the best, the most impactful advice that I was given was at one point 
someone told me that I was that I needed to be more flexible in my thinking. Oh. And um and actually there's probably two best advices. That's one of them. And her point was she actually was a, a consultant that did a lot of work around emotional intelligence. And that mm-hmm. was when people were first starting to really talk about emotional intelligence. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, and her point was, if you think you already know the answers, then you're not listening to feedback or input. Yeah. And so, you know, if you're, if you're the smartest person in the room, then, you know, that's going to limit, it's going to limit how you do things. Uh, and, and that was huge. That was a number of years ago. And, and she was really clear in saying, you know, this is going to hold you back from senior, from senior leadership mm-hmm. because you're not a flexible thinker. Wow. Yeah. Yep. She was right. Actually. Yeah. I, I understood after, after a period of time, you know, immediately I was like, I don't know what you're talking about. Well, yeah, right. <laughs> that <laughs> illustrated my point. Thank you, Maggie. Um, <laughs> but after a period of time, I did get it. I did. Um, the other best advice that I'll bring is that uh, someone a number of years ago as well said to me, if you hire a team of people that are, that are exactly like you, you know, it feels good to hire people. You click with them. You have good synergy. And if you end up hiring a whole pe- team of people that, that are like you, you have huge, huge defects because your areas of strength align and your areas of weakness align. And so if you hire a diverse team, people of mm-hmm. differing backgrounds, differing ways of thinking, differing experiences – then you have a strong team because you're not all alike. And yeah, you have to figure out how to get along and that might be a bit of a challenge, but if you hire people who are generally mature, you can work. Yeah. But, um, but working with diversity strengthens everything. And that's yeah. not just in the workforce. That's, that's in life as well. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Um, I was introduced, I realized a little late in life, um, when I, I went through, uh, through some leadership training, uh, I guess it's seven, eight years ago now. Has it been that long? Yeah, it's been that long. Uh, no longer, like 13 or 14 uh, stuck with me. Um, the whole forming, storming, norming, performing shift of team right. development. And if you hire people that, are, that think like you, that, that you already have that, who are just like you, Yes, you can sort of go right to performing and skip some of those steps, but overall, it's going to be harder in the end because you're going to hit those gaps and it's going to fall over and you've got to take the time to find the people that you're going to clash with at first because you're, you know, it's in the long run, it's going to make you stronger. Yeah, that's right. That's right. My team has used strength finders a fair mm-hmm. amount. And I, I don't know if you've done work with strength finders, but I have you know, not. There's, a, there's a million different like personality assessments. This is who I am. I'm, you know, green or blue or orange or gold or yeah, yeah. You know, I mean, right. I'm disc. I'm, you know, Myers-Briggs, I'm, you know, whatever it is, there's all kinds of ways of, of leading a team through understanding our similarities and differences. But one of the things I like about strength finders is that there are, you know, 51 or whatever different sort of descriptors for what we're, what we're good at. And 
I like it for two reasons. One is there's many more boxes, so we don't we're not all pushed into one little box or or two little boxes. But the other thing is it focuses on what are we good at as opposed to what do I need to work on to get better? Well, maybe what I need to actually do is find what I'm good at and do more of it. Find ways to expand that because I'm already good at it. Why don't I bring that to the company? So anyway, I, I, I like it because it helps teams know who they are and yeah. know who they are. And, you know, it, it's good. Uh, one of the, the one of the first companies I worked for, uh, we were based in New York City, and I don't know if you, you know this, but one of the big uh, aptitude study centers was founded in, in New York. They've got like, at the time, they had one in New York and one in D.C., and that was it. And I mm-hmm. cannot for the life of me remember the name of it, so I'm going to have to look it up. Uh, for the people at home, I will look it up and, and put a link in the, in the show notes. Um, but like as a present, the company I worked for would, uh, it was a small company, but would send us off to have the full range of aptitude tests, not like mathematic, but like, um, there's a, a something called an, an accounting aptitude and it's not about math. It's about how you understand data when it's presented to you in a table form or not. And, you know, a 3D spatial positioning aptitude. Um, you ever wonder why some people can walk up, look at a pile of, of stuff that in no way should fit into the trunk of that car and then just swoop it up and, and just magically fit it all together? That's a 3D spatial aptitude. Right. Because they can envision in their head how it all fits together. And it was really valuable to look at this and say, okay, here are some spots I'm weak. So I'm going to have to struggle a little more and have to, to work harder to overcome those. Here are places where I'm, thank you, Kat, um, where I'm strong and I can hopefully use that to augment other people. Yeah. And yeah. I was thanking the cat because she rolled over on the button that locks my screen. Oh, that's perfect. <laughs> She's so helpful. Yeah. By the way, Frank and I are very, very good at that Mm -hmm. uh, 3D spatial aptitude or, you know, taking Mm -hmm. a pile of stuff and organizing it into the trunk. Yeah. It's so there's a, there's perhaps a hereditary brain component of that. Yeah. My, my, my dad can do it. Ursula can't do it to save her life. Yeah. You know, she's like, no, 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 it'll all fit. And then there's stuff sticking out the sides and whatever. And I'm like, just let me load the truck for the cons from now on. It's fine. It's fine. All right. Um, anything else on the advice category before we go to the, the last two questions, which are the happy and sad ones? Yeah. Not in that order? Yeah. Yeah, do you want to do the sad one? I, I, I have been doing the, the sad one first because that way we end on a happy note. So if you're ready for it, I'm ready. All right. Um, how do you deal with failure when you miss a goal? Well, my my first response to that is I don't fail. <laughs> 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 and my and my real response to that is it's difficult for me. It is you know mm-hmm. if, if something happens. I think that I think the only thing that I that I truly consider a failure mm-hmm. is when I didn't see the risk 
becoming enough to, to sort of prep myself or prep anybody else, a stakeholder who really needed to know about it or a family member, whoever that is. Yeah. Um, so, you know, if something really all, you know, falls apart and I'm like, Oh my God, I didn't see that coming. That doesn't happen. That doesn't happen often. Um, but when it does, or when something doesn't go the way I think it's going to go, I am one of those people who will always look for the meaning in it. And, you know, maybe that's the shaman side of me um, as well. You know, what if, if there's a lesson in it, what is that lesson for me to learn? Yeah. Because that's really the whole purpose. There's no other reason to have this experience but to figure out what was I supposed to learn from it. Now, what would I do different next time? So I think that's my big thing. I don't, I don't spend a lot of time beating myself up because it's, there's no purpose in that. Um, though I, you know, again, I don't, I don't like to fail. I don't like to miss goals, you know, but I do like to learn. Yeah. So that's, that's probably my best answer to that is look as I look for the meaning in it. Yeah. On the flip side of that, um, here's the, what is often the difficult, but happy question. Yeah. Do you celebrate your successes? And if so, how? And if so, how? I believe firmly in the power of gratitude. And again, whether it's a large success or a small success, I sit in gratitude and whether that's gratitude for my own self and the, the gifts that I have and mm-hmm. the ways that I was able to contribute to my own success or probably more commonly sit mm-hmm. in gratitude for those who really were a large part of what was successful. And especially at work. Oh my God, there's nothing I do that I did all by myself. Oh my gosh. Are you kidding me? Yeah. Um, you know, <laughs> but, but it is, and, and I work, it's make sure that I share the, share the wealth on that, you know, make sure that my folks are recognized for the work that they're doing. But when it is truly my own piece, it is that I just sit with it and let it sink in and let myself feel how good it feels to have something go so well. Yeah. And then, you know, move, move to the next. Or if it didn't go well to sit and think about how great it is that you don't have to do that again. Right. <laughs> There's always gratitude to be found. That's right. That's right. Yeah. I'm just reading an article recently on uh, on how gratitude changes the brain and why gratitude changes the mm-hmm. brain is published in Psychology Today. And there's all kinds of all kinds of people doing all kinds of studies on it. But it is it is really important, and it and I think it gives us perspective um, and a way to stay positive about life and what life brings us and Mm -hmm. you know all kinds of things we can control and and many more that we can't oh absolutely absolutely um and i notice uh the whole idea of making sure we take that moment to be grateful to have those to 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 sort of bask in the gratitude or share that gratitude uh has been building um i want to say a couple of years ago, you know, you'd hear about a gratitude journal and you'd sort of look at it, you know, kind of squint eyed. And then as the research has been done, as more people have been using it, it's become much more of a, yes, it's an important 
aspect to it. Right. Um, right. One of the interesting uh, assignments in, I don't know if it was second year of, of shaman training mm-hmm. uh, was of course to do a gratitude journal but this was a different twist on it and she gave us an assigned list of maybe 25 things and we would just rotate them you know one after another today is day one do day two and they were really quirky things like today i'm going to be grateful for the color green or today i'm going to be grateful for bugs or today i'm going to be grateful for you know, I'm a toilet paper. I'm going to make that up. <laughs> the, you know, the, the point was, I can tell you to do a gratitude journal. And, you know, it's going to be the same thing every night. I'm grateful for my wife. I'm grateful for my kids. I'm grateful for a job. Yep. You know, I'm grateful for chewing gum, whatever it is. It's going to be the same. So, but the point of this exercise was to teach us to, to learn to be grateful. Mm-hmm. So it was, it was very cool. Now this year, of course, it is keep the journal every day of five things. But but it was a really interesting experience to just to think about being grateful for the color blue because then on the work you know on the way to work you're seeing the sky, you're seeing you know whatever else is blue around you know that's I, I don't want to ask how that works for someone who's colorblind. Yeah, it, I think we don't <laughs> let colorblind people into shaman school. <laughs> so that's so that now we have to talk about that and no, I'm kidding. Yeah, the kidding. diversity, equity, and inclusion kind That's right. <laughs> Yeah, that's exactly, yes. exactly right. <laughs> that's it. All that's right. all of it. Yeah. Um, oh, this is fun. Yeah. Is, uh, I don't know if you're comfortable with it, but uh, do you have an online presence that you're willing to share? You know, I actually, I don't have an online presence oh. right at the moment. I, I mean, I'm on, I'm on Facebook. I'm on LinkedIn. I suppose I am. So, um, yeah. So my, I can give you my full name, and I'm not hard to find on either LinkedIn <laughs> or Facebook. And uh, my name is Maggie Brixon. Mm-hmm. Uh, last name is is B R I C K S O N, like you know, son of a brick. Yeah. Um, yeah, which is uh, a little different from from Frank's, but that's okay because you know the whole well, marriage and name and blah blah blah. Yeah, that's right. Right. I, I did take my wife's name at some point along the line. We talked about would we hyphenate or do whatever else and decided it was going to be easier for all of us to just switch. Uh, yeah. it's. Uh, uh, I was talking to someone about that whole gyration just uh, a couple, for the folks at home, a couple episodes ago, um, a couple weeks ago. And yeah, I was remembering how my ex-wife, my first wife, she went through all of that mess. And then when we were in the midst of the divorce was like, so, you know, I'm like, you, you could go back to your maiden name. She's like, the paperwork is not worth it. It's just not. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, okay, well, yeah. And that way you don't have to explain to the kids in 10 years or whatever, why your last name is different from their last name. So right. it all works out. Um, thank you so much. Yeah. Thank you. This, this has been fun. A lot of fun. Say hi to Frank for me. I will. Um, since I'm sure you're going to talk to him before I do. And, uh, you know, and I am profoundly grateful you took the time out to uh, to talk to us today. Well, thanks. Uh, thanks for the interview. I appreciate it. And uh, and uh, let me know how, when the show airs and oh, yeah. how you think it's going to look. And sounds good. Uh, absolutely. And, uh, and for the people at home, we'll be back right after... 
です。want to thank Maggie for taking the time to talk to me. It was absolutely phenomenal. And I want to have a catch up episode with her in a couple of months, weeks, years, years. We, we seems to be catch ups are like every year and a half or so. Uh, so yeah, there's that. Uh, our word for this week, our badge code for this week is big rocks. Uh, all one word, big rocks. Uh, I am still working out some bugs and poking at the documentation on the website. So if you need to know more about open badges and the badges we issue, check them out at productivityalchemy.com. Uh, there's a whole badge how-to section, uh, which is uh, under... Under a little bit of revision right now, so I'm working on it. Uh, we've had a couple bugs. I've gotten those sorted. Uh, it's a work in progress uh, with this new piece of software that Badge OS has released. I love it. I really like it. Uh, but, you know, a couple, couple bumps, a couple growing pains. Nothing too serious. Now, I had uh, mentioned before we uh, went to the interview which was about an hour ago, um, that <laughs> I would uh, explain real briefly the federal contracting system for employees. Uh, for those who don't know, I spent some time as a federal contractor. Government contracts are uh, very, very weird in that uh, often they're for a long time, right? If you're a small contractor on a very limited project, uh, you know, with a contracting firm, then yeah, it'll maybe a couple of years. Uh, but in the case of something as large as say the, uh, original contract on the national computing C center, which is located in North Carolina uh, on the EPA campus, uh, EPA's national computing center, basically they're the ISP for the EPA. Uh, their contracts, uh, were basically seven years in length. Uh, at the time, uh, I understand that might have changed some since I was there, but the whole idea was that, and this started in the seventies, uh, in order to bring in the knowledge necessary to run all of this, they would, they, they contracted a third party, a very large company, uh, who basically built it out, staffed it, helped them design it. And then at the end of seven years, uh, the contract goes up for bid. And that means that other firms, are allowed to say, hey, this is how much it'll cost us or how much it'll cost you and estimates and growth and all that stuff. One of the interesting things about it is that because of how it worked, there were several people uh, on the campus there who had worked there since the 70s, since it opened up. And the only thing that had changed in terms of their job responsibilities in the last 40 years, 50 years now, 
oh my God, 50 years now, uh, give or take, is uh, the only thing that really changed was the bit where the people who wrote their paycheck, the contracting company would change because what would happen is the new contracting company would come in, would hire everybody essentially all over again. And, or, you know, they would be sold as part of the contract from the original, original firm. Uh, there were a couple places where, uh, the new company would come in and people would have to reapply for their own jobs, uh, or send, you know, it, it was all sort of, uh, weird when that happened. Uh, I had come in just after one of those. Uh, so, yeah, it was just it was one of those things. Uh and there are good contracts. There there are good contracting companies, there are bad contracting companies, but once somebody's in, they're in for a while. Uh so it can be an interesting environment in the sense that you have a lot of the same uh I guess employment I'm not going to say guarantees, but some of a lot of the perks of being a government employee and that it's very difficult to fire you. Uh, it's uh, very stable. Uh, but as with anything in the government sector, it's very hard to get a raise. It is hard to move up because a lot of that is tied into the, the contract itself. So, yeah. Uh, interesting place, interesting uh, times. I also stayed away from the politics as best I could because it would be too easy to get wrapped up in, well, the, you know, the, the, the federal lead on the project wants X, but the, your local manager who isn't a fed wants Y and the local manager is the one who can fire you. And it was, it could be a mess. So yeah, that's, that's it in a nutshell. Uh, it was a great place to be during the, um, uh, great recession in, uh, after, and, you know, right around 2005 to 2008, uh, it was stable money was coming in, not a big deal. So, I mean, that's that anyway, that's it for this week. I hope you have a productive week. I hope that you have a peaceful week. I hope you have some time to stop and breathe and maybe even, uh, find something to be grateful for. Uh, because it is something that I'm trying to do myself. And so, uh, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll see how it goes anyway. Uh, thanks for listening and we will talk to you next week. And in the meantime, do your best to stay productive. <laughs>